welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. So I'd like to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. If you remember, Paul is writing in prison. He's writing this letter to the Ephesian church from prison. And he's writing to the saints who are at Ephesus. So he's writing specifically to Jew and Gentile believers, mainly Gentile, that's non-Jew, all right, to encourage them. And the way that he encourages them, particularly in this first section, is by speaking of all that they have in Christ. Paul does not start off with like a long greeting, telling them how he's been doing in prison, whether he's been beaten or... Uh, He doesn't go after a problem that he heard in the Ephesian church. He doesn't want to address a problem. He just starts this off praising God, singing a song of grace. And verse 3 through 14 is really one unit. And so we need to read it in light of that. It's a 14 or 11 verse song of grace. And this song has three sections to it or Three verses in the song, all right? Don't think of like verses here, but you know, like verse, chorus, verse in a song. There's three main verses to this song. And the first in here has to do with the Father and His plan of salvation. The second verse has to do with Jesus accomplishing salvation. And then the third verse has to do with the Holy Spirit applying salvation to all those God would save. And the reason why Paul is starting off with this glorious song is fourfold. It's to set, first it's to set their heart aflame for God. It's to, it's to make their desires burn again, like a flame, burn hot for God. He's trying to stir them up with the hopes of number two, And the way that he stirs them up is by getting their eyes off of themselves, off of their good works, off of their circumstances. He mentions none of that in verses 3 through 14. It's all about God and his grace. And so he's getting their eyes off of themselves in order to keep them from desiring sin. Because if they're more enamored with the beauty and glory and grace of God, They're not going to have room in their heart to glorify or long for the things of this world. You see? And so he's trying to set a greater love. My wife is calling me right now. In front of them. So that they do not desire to sin. And they don't fall into false teaching. 
Because there were Judaizers in the church telling them, no, it's not by grace alone. You also need to obey the ceremonial law. So he's just coming right off the bat. No, this is what I've taught you. And then lastly, remember the Ephesians, they come from a pagan culture, a polytheistic culture. They worship multiple gods. Artemis, the, god, the sex goddess. Many of them were saved out of worshiping her. And they're being persecuted. And so Paul starts off with reminding them who they are in Christ in order to calm their anxious hearts that everything's going to be okay. Because if God had a plan in the beginning before you were born to save you, who can let, and, and Jesus came and accomplished that and the, the, the Holy Spirit came and applied that, how is it that you could fear death or anything? Our God is for you. Who could be against you? He's calming them. Yesterday, I dropped my wife and child off at the airport. Caitlin and Eden, they're, going, they're in Utah right now. And last night, Eden was just having a really hard time going to bed. It, you know, it's a new place and new people that she's meeting. Uh, a lot of, she's been stimulated. And so two hours into when she was supposed to go to bed, she's just crying and crying and crying hysterically to the point where my wife, usually the nurturer who could get her to calm her down, is having trouble with that. And that's when Caitlin was texting me, and so I FaceTimed them, and the first thing I did, Caitlin put the camera on Eden so she could see me and I could see her, and then she got calm, which is really sweet. And the first thing I did, I didn't say hi or anything, I just started to sing. Praise God from whom? Because that is what I sing to her every single night before she goes to bed. So she knows and she's ready to go. And then I tell her, I love you no matter what. And I did that. And it was just so sweet. Because I got a text two minutes later. I hung up two, minute, two minutes later and she was out cold. She was resting. And it just got me to thinking, it's not about me. It's just how many times in my life have I been anxious or struggling or God's presence isn't there. And then you come to passages like this and you're reminded the grace of God and it just eases your soul and when you feel plagued and some of you are here you're plagued with stress you feel overwhelmed with your sin overwhelmed with life overwhelmed with ongoing sin and guilt and shame and it's hidden and you know what I'm talking about you have a good way of hiding it behind a smile uh, and you need rest for your weary soul. And you know what you need? You need the God of the universe through Paul to sing over you the riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon his children. The riches found in Christ. And so as I mentioned last week, we saw that the origin of these riches are in eternity past. That verse 4 even as he, God the Father, chose us, elected us, he's talking to believers, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. God chose people to save, individuals, not based on anything that they did in and of themselves, but according to what? It says, according to his will, to the purpose of his will. And in love, he predestined us. He, he chose us. And what was the threefold purpose? that we would become holy and blameless, verse 4. He predestined us that we'd be adopted into his family, all for the praise of his glory. That happened in eternity past. 
And so the question then is that Jesus agreed to this plan in eternity past to accomplish this plan. And he did so by taking on human flesh. And he came down in present time. So we looked at the past last week. And now in the present, the question is, how does God's plan come to fruition? And the title of my message is Jesus Accomplishes That Salvation. In the present, Jesus then comes to accomplish that salvation. And he does so by three things. And so let's read the text and we'll look at these three things, these three ways that Jesus came to accomplish salvation. Let's start in verse 7. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he blessed us in the beloved, that is Jesus, his beloved son. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on earth. And so Jesus accomplishes salvation by first revealing himself to sinners. Revealing himself to sinners. It says in verse 9 that God in time made known to us the mystery of his will. I know many of you, you love a good mystery. Oh, did you ever think of the Bible as a mystery, non-fiction story? It really is. You could even sum up the whole Bible as the mystery of Christ, right? Who is the Messiah? That's what Christ means. Who is this person who's going to defeat Satan, crush his head, and bring salvation to all those that God intends to save? Who is it? And the whole Old Testament is trying to find out, is it, is it David? Is it Abraham? Is it Moses? Is it Joshua? Is it Gideon? Is it David? Is it Solomon? And they all fail, right? Until one comes from the line of David, the line of Abraham, stemming all the way back to Adam, the second Adam, who comes to bring salvation. He reveals himself to sinners. Look at Colossians chapter 1, 24 through 28, if you just go right over. It says this, that Paul is a minister. He became a minister according to the stewardship from God, Colossians 1.25, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And what does the word of God consist of? The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Jesus is, he is the, the masked savior who's unmasked, right? The masked singer, you're like, who is this? You know, you've seen that show, right? And it's revealed, oh, it makes sense, right? Or a mystery novel. I love the Hardy Boys. I grew up reading those books. Anyone know what that is? Hardy Boys, okay, you've heard of it, right? Or a mystery novel, right? It's got all these clues, or Scooby-Doo. Think of Scooby-Doo, Sherlock Holmes, right? You're trying to figure out who is the person Behind the mask, right? And then in the end, it's revealed. And then once it's revealed, all the clues make sense. And then you go back and you read 
the story. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. It was this person the whole time. And in the same way, Jesus Christ is God's revelation of himself to sinners. Jesus is the mystery. But what is, I guess, what is the mystery of Christ? It's that this, that salvation isn't just for Israel. Isn't just for one nation. It's that Jew and Gentile, heaven and earth are all being united in Jesus Christ. That's what it says in verse 10. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Heaven and earth meet. So when Jesus comes, he reveals himself to sinners. How so? First thing that's most important to this is that Jesus, Jesus' coming reveals to man his need of salvation. So what does Jesus reveal to us? Our need of salvation. Why do things, you've got to ask the question, okay, if Jesus comes to unite all things in, in him, why do things need to be united? <laughs> that implies that there's separation, right? There's not reconciliation. There's estrangement. If things need to be united, that means that they're broken. And why are things broken? Simply put, because man has rebelled against God. And in the beginning, God created everything good. And he gave Adam a job as the prophet, priest, and king of God's temple called Eden. And his job was to multiply, multiply fill the earth. He was to take dominion, to subdue the earth. And he was to obey God's one law. And if he obeys the law, he earns eternal life for all, of God's, for all of his offspring. And if he disobeys, he earns death for all of his offspring. He will surely die. Well, Adam breaks God's law and sin then is plunged into all of his offspring. Look at Romans chapter 5 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, talking about Adam, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation upon all. So because of Adam's sin, as our federal head, he represents the human race. And so because of his sin, we are all born in sin. Think about this. In football, uh, right, if, if a defensive lineman is doing his job and he breaks right through the offensive line and he crushes the quarterback, which is what football is all about, and then he gets a stupid roughing the passer call that ruins NFL and ruins the game and ruins everything about it. I'm a little salty about this. Because USC lost about, because of this, right? He's called, so he's called for targeting, roughing the passer. It's a penalty. And that one man's sin of of hitting that, barely touching that quarterback. We should put flags on quarterbacks now, right? Because of that one man's sin, the whole team is punished. In the same way, because of Adam's sin, All man has sinned. We've all been corrupted. And this corruption is not taken lightly in the scriptures. In fact, man is called, outside of God, is is said to be enslaved or in bondage to sin. In bondage to sin. John 8.33, Jesus says it himself. He says this in John 8.33. 
said, 34, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This is the bondage of the will that God created man good and in his image, uh, holy and and blameless and upright. But because of Adam's sin, the image of God has become perverted in man. We no longer have the ability, the desire to obey God. We're in bondage to sin. Romans 6.16 says that sin is our master. Think about a master, a strong master. Think of, think of, uh, of, I think of Nazi Germany and the Jews in the Holocaust. That, that's the type of energy, uh, energy of um, uh, imagery of sin as your master, as your slave. Sin masters us. That's what Jesus says. And that's our problem. We're in bondage and change in chains to our sin. And because of that, man is banished from God's presence. Why do we need to be united? Because of sin. Because of sin's corruption in our lives. That cuts us off from all the riches of grace. So Jesus comes to reveal to sinners their sin. (laughs) But then he comes to reveal that his mercy is more. Our sins are many, but his mercy is more. And so Jesus is God's revelation to sinners. He reveals our need and then meets our need. And so my question to you, application, is do you see your need for a Savior? Do you actually recognize that you have a desperate need? Believers, have you started your spiritual life in the Spirit but now are continuing in the flesh? That's an application for you. You once saw your need, okay, now that I'm saved, I don't need Jesus anymore. So I'm just going to buck up and I'm going to use my own strength and I'm going to discipline myself and, and I don't need the Holy Spirit and I don't need Jesus. I don't need the gospel. Friends, the good news that brings you into union with Christ is the same good news that sanctifies you, that you need to grow in Christ. And so, are you foolish like the Galatian church, Paul says, to begin in the spirit, but to continue in the flesh. Do you recognize your need as a believer and even as someone that's new here that's it's not a Christian? Until you see your need, you won't see Jesus for who he is. Jesus is the good news for sinners. And how? How is Jesus the good news? So he accomplishes salvation by revealing himself to sinners. And then two, what do we see in the text? By redeeming sinners out of bondage, right? In him we have, what does it say? Verse 7. You should be following along here. In him we have redemption through his blood. That's passion right there from you guys. That's good, all right? In him we have redemption through his blood. Okay, through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses. So what is redemption? So Jesus gives us redemption. What is redemption? One theological dictionary put it this way. Redemption is the release of people from the bondage through a payment price. The release of people from bondage through a payment price. There's no, I I can't think of a more vivid illustration. There's two that pictures redemption. The prophet Hosea. Maybe your Bibles, you can turn to Hosea. It comes after Daniel. The 
prophet Hosea was commissioned by God to marry a prostitute. Yeah. (laughs) When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, this is Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so this is an illustration. God telling Hosea to go marry a prostitute is an illustration for Israel's whoredom, spiritual whoredom against God. Because God redeemed them out of Israel to be a people of his own possession, brought them into union, a marriage, but the people of God play the whore. They go after other idols and other things. So he went, it says in verse 3, and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Don't name your daughters Gomer. Okay? And think about it. This is a prophet. This is a man of God. This is a modern-day pastor. A righteous man who God is using to to speak. And he's going and marrying a prostitute. What kind of shame do you think that would have brought upon Hosea? Yet he bears that shame. And he marries this wicked and defiled harlot. Brings her into a sacred relationship. Just as God brought us into a sacred relationship, or Israel. They have kids together. And God (laughs) brings judgment through the names of their kids. I'm not going to marry them, or uh, name them. But you can read that yourself. And in time, in their marriage, Gomor gets sick of Hosea. And she goes back to practicing whoredom. She goes back to become a prostitute. She goes back to her sin. And Hosea... Doesn't know what to do here. But then look at what God says in Hosea chapter 3. And the Lord said to me, verse 1, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man. Can you imagine that? Go and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. See the parallel? Though they returned to other gods and they loved cakes of raisins. They chose food over God. So it says, so I, Hosea, bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to any other man. So I will also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice, pillar, without ephod or household gods. And afterwards, the children of Israel, verse 5, shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Can you just imagine this? holy, righteous man. He's walking through the streets of wickedness and he goes down a back alley to find his wife who has left him for prostitution. And he's in areas a pastor probably would never go, a prophet would never go. And he's bearing the shame of walking into an ancient strip club to buy his wife with 15 shekels of, 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 and barley. And he pays the price. And she becomes his. And says, you must dwell with me. But nothing but good to you. Like Gomer. 
We were created to be in union with God. But instead of being faithful to the covenant he made with us, like Adam, like Israel, like David, we played the whore. We went after our sin. We loved the bondage of our sin, the pain and the misery that it brought. You can only imagine Gomer being taken advantage night after night after night after night. The sin, the shame, the misery, the guilt. And yet she couldn't escape it. And yet some of you, you feel that. Damned to hell, right? Making it a hell on earth. That's what our sin and shame uh, deserve. Until that is the king's son sets his eyes upon us in eternity past and comes down to wicked humanity, walks the streets of filth and defilement and sin and comes and sets his eyes upon us and saves us and redeems us with a price. And what is that price? His blood, his life, redemption Through his blood. The innocent man for the guilty. And he redeems us. He he purchases our freedom out of bondage. That's what Christ did for us. Just as God saved Israel and brought them on through the Red Sea. So it is those who are Christians are brought through the blood of Jesus by faith. He is our Red Sea. Just as the priests needed to be cleansed with the blood before going into the Holy Holies, so we've been washed in the blood of Christ if you've trusted in Him. Jesus died on the cross. That was His payment. My life for yours. What love, what grace that He's poured out on us. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That's what redemption is. That's what we have in Christ. This is good news. This is awesome. We've been freed from our sin. But not only that, a part of redemption, what what comes with that? The forgiveness of our moral law-breaking trespasses. And so when we look to Christ by faith, He not only redeems us, but He forgives us. That is, He removes our debt and sets us free. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. He throws them into the, into the bottom of the sea, we just saying, never to be re- remembered. So who is it that qualifies for this redemption and this forgiveness? I have a story from Charles Spurgeon. He's a pastor, one of my heroes. He, he's dead, but he's with, actually he's alive. He's with the Lord right now. He says this. He says, just to illustrate, who, who is it that receives forgiveness? This ties into my first point. I've heard of a great man, he says, who, once, who was once taken to see a French galley slave. So a galley, think of a prison, and they're slaves in prison. And they're there because they're serving time. And he had given him, this French, gal, uh, this Fre- French galley slave, this guy that's the warden, had given, given this man authority to set free any man whom he found at the galleys to whom he cared to give his liberty. So he says, you could free anyone that you want. Just go take your pick. And so this man came to one man, and he found that he was committed to serving uh, for 10 years. And he asked him about his crime. And he said that he thought that he had been treated very unfairly. He didn't know that he had done much amiss. Perhaps he had once or twice taken a little that was not his. But the temptation to which he had yielded was very strong. And he had done so much good in other ways that he really thought he was very hardly, being hardly treated and being sent to the galleys. So the gentleman, hearing his story, passed by him. 
He was too good of a man to receive forgiveness. So, the, so he passed him by. There was another who said to him that he was perfectly innocent. He even swore that he was as innocent as a newborn babe in every accusation that, he had been brought, that had been brought against him. And the gentleman also passed him by because he was too good to be freely forgiven. Then he came to another who said that he might have tripped, perhaps, but much more was made of him than was true. There were liars in the court, and perjury had been committed by a great many of witnesses against him. And he knew a great many men who were twice as bad as he was, yet they were free while he was in chains. And that man was not the one whom he pardoned. At last the visitor came to a poor fellow who said to him, I have a long sentence to serve. But I fully deserve even more than that sentence. I wonder why I was not condemned to death. For had they proceeded to extremities, they might have proved me guilty of murder. So I look upon my sentence as much lighter than I really deserve to suffer. Then he who had received the authority to pardon, whom he pleased, said, I pardon you. For according to your own confession, you appear to be the only man in the whole place who is really receiving justice. And therefore, I will show you mercy so you may go away as a free man. And in the like manner, Spurgeon says, the Lord Jesus Christ is always ready to bestow his mercy upon those who confess that they deserve the heaviest sentence of justice. But as long as we kick against that, his mercy, or we cannot expect him to look upon us in love. Do you recognize your need? When Christ forgives you, he removes it as far as the east is from the west. How does he do that? By Colossians 2.14, nailing it to the cross. Canceling our debt for good. No more to be brought up and then for you to be canceled, right? You can't be canceled if you're in Christ. He was canceled for you. (laughs) You're forgiven. And so in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our moral failures. How? What does it say in the text? Go back and read it. Uh, It says, how? According to the riches of our works. Is that what it says? According to the riches of our parents' works? (laughs) Or according to the riches of his grace? That's how it is. That's where it comes from. That's the source with which he sprinkled upon us. No, 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 no. He lavished upon them. Think of baptism. That's why we don't sprinkle people here. We immerse them fully. Because God lavishes his grace upon us. Full immersion. Full abundance of his grace. That's the source of our salvation. By grace alone. I love that. Fully lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And where's the wisdom and insight of God seen in this? By the fact that it comes through the preaching of the gospel in which you're hearing right now, which I hope that you respond. And if you do, by faith, all these things that I'm saying become true of you. And if you're in Christ, these things are what you have already. These are the blessings in the heavenly places which are ours in Christ Jesus. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. This is what Jesus did to accomplish salvation. He revealed himself to sinners. He redeemed sinners out of bondage. And then lastly, he unites sinners to himself. 
we see that. That's the whole goal. Not just to save you from your sin, wash you of your sin, but then to bring you into the family, to bring you into his arms, to give you all the riches of his grace. They become yours in Christ Jesus. The whole goal of sending Jesus is to unite sinners to himself. So my question to you is, are you united to Christ by faith? You know, faith is important to understand. Faith, you need to have knowledge of who Jesus is. You need to agree with what Jesus has done for you. But if you do not have personal trust in Jesus, you do not have him. And many of you are here and you are in a plane and it is going down. And there is one parachute there that Jesus through the gospel is saying, here, take this parachute. And many of you are like, yeah, I know that parachute can save me. I agree that it can save me, but you haven't put it on. So it's worthless to you. And in the same way, if Christ is outside of you and you haven't put your faith in him, he rem- all that he's done remains worthless to you unless you look to him by faith, unless you put the parachute on. Have you been united to Christ? And if that is true, all of these blessings, remember union with Christ is foundational. All of Christ, just as Adam's sin was credited to your account, in the same way, if you're in Christ, All of the riches of his obedience, all the riches of his grace become yours. And there's so much more. His mercy is so much more that they superabound. They supersede over your sin. They cover it. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Love that. So have you put on the parachute by faith? Or are you heading for destruction as we speak? Loving your, you loved it. Instead of putting on this parachute and it's going down, you'd rather be in bondage in your seatbelt to your sins. You know what? I'm good. I'm just going to put my feet up right now. An eternal hell, the hell that Jesus took on the cross is only waiting for you if you do not put that parachute, if you don't put Christ on. And so have you been exposed to Jesus and by Jesus? Has he revealed to you your sin? Have you been redeemed by God? I'm afraid that many of you, like when we have a fight, a good illustration that Pastor Matt used last night at our elder meeting, he says, uh, one of the problems that I see in youth ministry is that there are many students that are, they're in the fire, the Holy Spirit, the flame is within them and they're worshiping God, they're genuinely saved. But if, if there's a fire pit, many of you are just standing outside of it, just warming yourself. You're not jumping in, you're just close by. And you may have the appearance of warmth, but you're not really a Christian because you have not put your faith. You have not repented of your sin, turned from your sin, confessed it, and cling to Jesus. There's not, nothing more. It's just receiving the gift and saying, God, I give myself to you, but I know that I'm not saved on the basis of what I give to you, but what you have given to me. <laughs> Take my life. I trust in you. Have you been united to Christ? And believer, if you are a Christian, many of you are in here. Is your heart more enamored with the fleeting riches of this world over the riches of grace in Christ? The problem with young men and women is that they are easily distracted and easily deceived. 
go back to this song to be enamored by Christ and let the greater love that you have for Christ stir within you according to his grace to allow you to take your eyes off of your sin, off of the world. You who have received the riches in Christ, why would you go back to the poverty of your, own, your old self? Why? It's like Israel being redeemed out of bondage, but you're going back to Egypt. And we do that as Christians sometimes. Why? Repent of your sin. Do not presume upon God's grace. Call out to him and he will be gracious to you. He will save you. He will renew you. He will forgive you. Flee from the wrath to come. Do not be content. Some of you are Christians in here and you're content with being enslaved to your sin. May it never be. May it never be. And like my crying daughter, if your soul is weary, cry out to him. He will hear you. And you will find rest in this song of grace, in Christ. Blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places.